Alright, we're finishing up the first chapter of Philippians this morning. Our text is going to be the last four verses, so starting in verse 27. Starting in verse 27, here's what we read. Paul says, Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and do not in any way be terrified by your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition, but to you of salvation and that from God. For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, having in the same conflict which you saw in me, and now here is in me. Uh, Paul ends this chapter with some really interesting battle language, I would say. Uh, he's been talking a lot about fullness of God and that a Christian can enjoy day by day. He's also been teaching us about the defense of the gospel and our place in accomplishing God's work here on the earth. And here we see in this small text, words like conflict and stand fast, adversaries. Uh, these verses remind us that we are on a campaign for the Lord against the forces of Satan who seek to devour and destroy the lost people of the world. And we see evidence of that all around us every single day. Now the Holy Spirit is a restrainer. The church is a combatant in the struggle for eternity. So that makes you and I, makes us soldiers who have pledged ourselves to our Savior King, Jesus Christ. And so to that end, Paul speaks in this text about our individuality as soldiers and our solidarity, solidarity together as a unit. And so first he says there in verse 27, only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Some versions have the word conversation there in place of conduct. Uh, the revised version, King James Version, I believe, um, Bible commentators would point out that the word Paul used there was different than the one that he often used when we see conversation. Uh, it means more than just speech, more than just talk, but it means our heavenly citizenship and our behavior in general. It's a very interesting word according to people who study words. <laughs> when we step back and we see the military analogy in this text, or at least the themes, we can look at it this way. Is our conduct befitting a soldier of God? Are we in line and in rank under our commander, Jesus Christ, and in his orders? You know, General McChrystal had made news recently. He recently lost his job and his post, not because of criminality, not because of treason, but because his conduct was not befitting a soldier at wartime. A soldier's life is not solitary, but it is part of something greater. It's part of a greater body, a greater goal. Therefore, especially in wartime, a soldier's actions and words and conduct are scrutinized and they're held to the standard of that greater goal. And so Paul opens this text with the standard that all Christians are held to in this time of conflict that we're in here in the earth. The standard is the gospel of Jesus Christ, his message, his methods, his purpose, his standard, which he demonstrated to us on the earth. Paul goes on in verse 27 and says, So that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs. A good soldier, spiritually speaking, keeps himself and his affairs in constant inspection readiness. We are to be, uh, excuse me, we are equipped to keep ourselves holy, not perfectly. Um, we don't believe in a what is sometimes known as a holiness doctrine, which that a Christian can be perfect and can never sin. Uh, but we are to keep ourselves consistently holy by the equipping of God and by the equipping of 
His righteousness, so that God's pure white glove might find us faithful and humble and uniformed in His righteousness, armed with His provisions and munitions. If we're thinking about this from a soldier point of view, God has come to us, we've enlisted into His service, He's our commander and king, and He says, okay, here's your uniform, here are your munitions, here are your orders, here's the training that I have for you. And so we may not be able to be perfectly holy, and we are not sinless, uh, but we can be choose to be uniformed in his righteousness. We can choose to be consistent in our faithfulness and arm ourselves with the provisions that he has made. And so whether Paul would again make it to Philippi or not, his desire was that the believers there would be prepared for an inspection at any time. Now we call this today being rapture ready. Let me read this text to you. Uh, Matthew 24, starting in verse 45. Uh, it says, Who then is a faithful and wise servant? Uh, who, uh, whom his master made ruler over his household to give them food in due season. Blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. Assuredly, I say to you that he will make him ruler over all his goods. But if that evil servant says in his heart, My master's delaying his coming, and he begins to beat his fellow servants, and to eat and drink with the drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him, and at an hour that he is not aware of, and he will cut him in two and appoint his portion with the hypocrites. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And so we want to be inspection ready, rapture ready for that moment when we're going to be standing before the Lord and see, okay, what do we do uh, while we were on the earth? Verse 27 ends, that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Unity within the body of Christ, unity within a local church, is essential to the work of the kingdom. That's the deal. We live in an era when unity is not as valued as it should be. Culturally, uh, the West has produced a large number of Christians, I would say, who believe that unity means the church does what I want. The church serves what I think they should do. We live in a time where often people break fellowship with their congregation over small personal differences or opinions. And that's a very sad thing, because that is not what we're called to. Instead, we're called here and elsewhere in God's Word to stand fast. We've all seen this example in a movie battle scene. The battalion is there waiting for the onslaught. The captain is calling for them to hold the line. Yet, what always happens? One or two or three of them crack under the pressure, and then they break ranks. And what happens? It always leads to instant death for those people. Um, and while that is a little bit cliche in our you know, cinema culture, it is somewhat true in the spiritual realm. God constructed the church so that we might strengthen one another and gain ground together as a unit. There's a lot we can do individually as soldiers, but together as a group, as a unit, we're able to do things that we individually cannot do on our own. Together, we can accomplish further work that we could never do alone. I didn't spend a lot of time studying battle techniques in school or anything like that, but one thing that I remember studying is, and lots of us have heard of this, is the Roman phalanx. And when they came out with that, that grouping together of their soldiers, it was a technological advancement that other, uh, other enemy forces were not prepared for. They didn't know how to break through it. They didn't know you know, how they could defend against it, but it was contingent upon the fact that those unit of soldiers were linked together in that specific way. Toward that end, toward that uh, communal work that God has us do as fellow soldiers together, united in a congregation, we are called to stand fast. First, we're to stand fast in one spirit, one current, one direction. 
God is not a God of confusion, but he is a God of peace and of clarity. Thus, he directs each local church to carry out specific missions in specific ways in specific locations. This is an important thing to remember because we have a tendency, I would say, in the American church to just want to copy each other. You're doing this and it was cool and, it, and the Lord blessed it. Well, then we're going to do that. Or this church is over here is doing this and the Lord blessed it. Then we're going to do that. And that's not what we see in the Bible. The Lord comes and he says, okay, no, 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 you, you may all be in a, in a generally the same location, but each congregation, I have a specific mission in a specific area in a specific way that I want you to carry out. I don't want every church to be exactly the same. I don't want everybody to do the same thing and reach the same people. The Holy Spirit gives us the direction we need as a congregation. As a unit, we need to stand fast in one spirit, one current. One direction that we've received from the Lord, following his orders as delivered through the men that he has raised up to serve in those positions. Then we are called to have one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. We must be on the same page when we work together in the church. We need to carry out God's leading by using the methods that he calls us to, but then also having an agreement on the route that we're going to go. Uh, real life example. If I think that I have a better idea of how tracts can be handed out in a particular neighborhood, I'm free to suggest that idea. But in the end, at the end of the day, I am called to unity of mind with my brothers. And so when a course of action is decided and it's biblical and it's spiritual, uh, then I'm commanded to strive together with my fellow soldiers in one spirit and in one mind because there is a greater goal than my opinion. There is a greater goal than, you know, my personality. And God has a plan in mind. That's the thing. I think sometimes we forget that God has an actual plan in mind for the things that he wants us to do if we're willing to seek him and receive that plan. We see it in the Old Testament a lot. A lot of times in our battle-ready battle, battle ready studies, you know, God had a very specific strategy and plan in mind if his people were willing to say, how do you want us to enter into this conflict? And so we don't, in this situation of unity, we don't overlook sin, we don't overlook stupidity either, but normally speaking, as a normal Christian living out life in the Lord's church, my job is to submit to authority and to trust in the people that God has raised up to serve and lead in his church. Verse 28, and not in any way terrified of your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition, but to you of salvation and that from God. This life on the earth is not sure leave. We talk about that a lot. Uh, spiritually speaking, retirement comes after we enter into eternity. We can retire as human beings, and that's great. But on the spiritual level, this is not a life of sure leave. This life is active duty. We are sent to the front lines, and there are adversaries out there. And that's what Paul is saying. Hey, you have people out there that are your adversaries through and through. The good news is that we have victory in Jesus. There is an invincibility that comes along with living a spirit-full life. You know, this is Paul. You want to beat me? You want to stone me? You want to burn me? You want to lop my head off? Great. I'm going home. That sounds good to me. I'm headed for eternity. And when we're not living in the thick of persecution, we tend to forget this invincibility, I would say. Uh, but it is ours. The Lord has provided it to us. God came and won a decided victory over sin and death and the devil. And so we do not have to be afraid of those things anymore. Now, sadly, I know at least in my life, um, I often harbor fear in my heart when I don't have to. We sometimes forget to shake off those things and receive God's peace and contentment and remember who we are in the Lord. Bible commentator William Barclay wrote something interesting when he came to this passage. He said this, 
I really like this quote. The world is full of Christians on the retreat who, when things grow difficult, play down their Christianity. The true Christian stands fast, unashamed in any company. He expects unity. They are bound together in one spirit like a band of brothers. Let the world quarrel. Christians must be one. He expects unconquerability. He expects a cool, calm courage. In times of crisis, others may be nervous and afraid. The Christian will still be serene, the master of himself and of the situation. We need to master ourselves under the discipline of a soldier. We need to be inspection ready. We need to be conflict ready. We need to be armed and positioned to carry out the mission God is sending us on as soldiers in a unit unafraid. And luckily we've received all of that equipping and all of that training and all of that preparation from the Lord. One author once said this, The oldest and strongest emotion of mankind is fear. Uh, and I think that perhaps is true. Uh, but as a Christian, we have been saved, remember. We have been made into a new creation. We're not just human beings anymore. We're, you know, heavenly citizens as well. Heavenly men, and nothing can separate us from God's love or his plan for our lives. And so fear is vanquished. When we fear, we are free to call on our fellow soldiers for strength, and we are free to cast that fear onto Jesus Christ, who says, I will deliver you from this. I will take this on myself so that you do not have to be burdened under it. 29. For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. Uh, this is a difficult verse as far as Bible verses go, but this is the life that we've received. It's one thing to be issued a uniform, uh, but when we became Christians, when we became citizens of heaven, we were also enlisted into active duty during wartime. That's the deal. A soldier in wartime must endure great difficulty and trial. Why? For fun? For experience? You know, no, we, they endure those things for the greater mission. What, what, you know, we and armies throughout history have said what? For God and country. For us, it's for God and kingdom. We are enlisted and we endure the difficulties of this life and the sufferings that come alongside for God and kingdom. The Christian life includes suffering. We have to get that through our heads. We are contending against the devil and his desire to destroy mankind. And so there's definitely going to be some blowback in our efforts against him. Every week we read about skirmishes between darkness and light. As we see the persecution, as we see the trend away from God and towards you know, the devil, as we see these things, we see uh, those conflicts, those you know, firefights, as it were, between uh, the forces of light and the forces of darkness. Now, spiritual victory is one, but physical suffering still exists all around the world. It's a part of the Christian life. If we are never suffering on any level for the Lord, it's possible, just possible, that the reason lies within us. Don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that we all have to lose our hands or be beaten or imprisoned or anything like that. I'm not saying that. But if there's never any friction between us and the world, if there's never any difficulty when it comes to our witness or our service to the Lord, then just perhaps we're not carrying out the orders and the standard that God has given us. Or perhaps we've removed ourselves altogether from the front lines and we only spend time with our fellow soldiers and never venture out to gain ground for our king. These are questions that I need to pose to myself. We all need to pose to ourselves. You know, I, we can't put that on each other. Uh, we need to do that with the careful, loving influence of the Holy Spirit. Because suffering is a given in God's Word. Paul expected it. Jesus expected it. God's people experienced it. And so we should expect it as well and be ready for it, joyful through it, purified by it. 30. Having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here is in me. 
Spiritual warfare, spiritual conflict, spiritual battle, it's nothing new for the followers of Christ. Paul almost makes light of the type of difficulty that he had to endure, and he had to endure some excruciating suffering. Praise God that we can prepare ourselves for the trials of this life by reading biblical case studies, right? You want to know how to gain ground at work? Check out Daniel. You want to know how to stay safe while you're on the road? Check out Abraham. We have all these different case studies for all the different you know, areas of life that we might find ourselves in. There's so many ways that we can prepare ourselves and train for what's ahead by looking into the revelation already given and delivered to us by God. The Christian life is a battlefield. Sometimes you're stationed in Saudi Arabia. Sometimes you're stationed in San Diego. That's just how it shakes out. God's got your orders worked out. He's put you in a platoon that you're tailor-made for, a specific local congregation. We walk invincible as we walk in the Spirit, unified with our brothers, purpose to carry the gospel with us wherever you're sent. So you guys are sent, so get going.